Hello and welcome to The Road Between Sundays, the podcast where you're going to hear the encouraging stories of God's faithfulness from everyday people and what God is doing in their lives. We hope that you'll be encouraged and reminded that God loves you, He has amazing plans for you, and He has not forgotten you. Thank you for joining us. My faith walk began when I was um, around about 18 years old. Well, it started before then. I, my mom and dad separated when I was five years old. My dad was a military man. Um, my mom left him in Kentucky and we came back to Alabama to live with my grandparents. So living with my grandparents, you had to go to church. with no if and in about it. <laughs> and um, so I think that's where it started really. It's from the beginning because I was brought up in church. And me being an only child, I weren't made to do anything because my mom I could say, I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it. And being her only child, she wouldn't make me do it. But being with my grandparents, my grandmother would say, oh, yes, you got to do this. You going to do this, only child or no only child. So uh, coming up in the church through them and being reared with them, uh, I think that's what started my faith in God because... Um, being an only child, and if, and I seen where the Lord had it for me to come back to be, to stay with my grandparents instead of being with my parents, because if I had stayed with my parents, it's no telling where I would have been or what I would have been doing, because we was in this city and I could have had my way. But being with my grandparents, I think the Lord placed me there so that I can become the person that I am today. And with me being the oldest granddaughter, <laughs> I think that that's exactly where he wanted me to be, to learn the thing that I had to learn to, because I grew up being the oldest granddaughter and I have more children than any other. other. <laughs> any other other grands in my family, and I had to do more. So I think he placed me there with my grandparents. I, I grew up in Greenville, Alabama. It's a little place northwest of Greenville, Forest Home, Alabama, a little country place on a farm. My granddaddy had a farm, and he only worked, well, he hired other peoples when he needed to, but he only worked us. At that time, he had four sons still living at home, and then it was two grandsons living there and me. So um, we all had to work in the field. Yeah. But one thing about my granddad, we had more privilege than most people in our community, children in our community, because he would let us go to school. He said, I'm going to let you get your education. Um, 
So we would go to school and go to the field when we come home. Or I didn't have to go to the field per se. I had to stay at home and help my grandmother fix the dinner. And we had to tote water from the spring and get in stove wood. So I stayed there and did that type of thing. But um, he always told us, even if you get an education, it's good to have, but it's not all. He said, he, he, he taught us to have a good name and that what we say, mean it. And he also told us, and what, don't lie. lie don't lie, steal, or cheat. None of that was supposed to. None of that was in our lives. And he also told us, when you work, do your best, whatever it is. If you're a dishwasher, be the best dishwasher. If you're a street sweeper, sweep it cleaner than anybody else. So people would say, oh, you know, she just washed dishes, but hey, she the best dishwasher there is. So I took those things with me in life. I always dreamed of having a family, but I didn't want but four children. <laughs> and I ended up having 10. <laughs> I'm the mother of 10 children. I had seven living. Four was born alive, but they had problems after they, was, after they got here. But, um, and I wanted to be a nurse. I always wanted to be a nurse, but I, I never got to be a nurse as in nursing in the hospital, but I did get to nurse. I took care of children, and as I got older, I took care, well, down through my life, I've taken care of older peoples, and that's what I was trained to do. When I finished school, my English teacher, since I couldn't afford to go to college, helped me get into a school in New York where they trained to take care of elderly peoples. And um, I went there for, for nine weeks. And then we was in a place where they would call, they would send peoples out to, to see could you work for them. And it had gotten down to like six girls. It was 18 of us, and it had got down to six girls. And I was like, I don't know whether I'm gonna get a job or not, because I was small. I was smaller than I am. I think I weighed something like 106. <laughs> and all the other girls were taller and larger. But before I left home, my granddad gave me my fare. And he told me, if you get there and it doesn't work, you can always come home. So I kept my fare. I didn't spend my fare on food or anything. I kept it. And when it was down to the sixth girl, this lady came in, and she was asking questions about what to do when you clean, when you have a person that you have to look after and all. And then she asked, um, who can iron a white shirt? And couldn't any of the girls iron a white shirt? And I said, well, I can. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, but you're so little. <laughs> and uh, she said, well, my husband needs white shirts every day. So 
I said, well, give me a try. She said, okay, I'm going to try you for two weeks and see how it works. So I went with her. We lived in. I had my own room and sitting area, and um, I had to eat my meals with them and, and clean. I had to clean the house and iron. So at the end of the two weeks, she told me, she said, you know what, say, you got this job. She said, my husband, say, every day he go to work, people would ask him what laundry did he take his shirts to. (laughs) And that was something that my grandmother made me do. When I was coming up, I had to iron all the uncles and my granddaddy's white shirts for to go to church on Sunday because, and back then we didn't have electric irons. We had to use the iron that you set to the fire and clean them off with pine straws or whatever. (laughs) And another thing, I hadn't ever been around or worked for or with white peoples. I went to all black school. the little town that we lived in, we couldn't go in the same stores or whatever that the white peoples went in. Um, the community um, about seven miles from us, it was white people there, but we weren't allowed to. We weren't allowed to mix with them or anything. So that was my first time being with white peoples. But it was a blessing. It was God sent. Because me taking that job, and uh, when I got there, I didn't know anything about New York or whatever. These people was from um, um, they was from England, and they was this man and lady. Higgins, when they took me in, they told me what what to do, what not to do. I had to go to church. I had to be home at a certain time. I couldn't go to clubs or anything like that. And they they took care of me in in a city where I didn't know anything about. I had some girlfriends that was up there. I could go visit them. Um, And when I go to church, I had to take a a cab to the bus stop. And the first time I took a cab, I was walking to the, before I took a cab, I had to walk to the bus stop. And I was walking to the bus stop and this man stopped following me. And I had been told, if anybody follow you or whatever, don't get in the car, no matter what they say. So I had to go through an alley to get to the bus stop. And I didn't. And I know that that was the Holy Spirit leading me. He said, don't go through that alley. Turn and make another block. So when I turned and went back around the block, he was still following me. And it was a lady uh, looking out the window. And she said, baby, say, don't stop walking. I see that car following you. Go around the block again, and I'm going to call the policeman. So she did. 
And when I came back around the block and he saw the policeman, he left. And she called me and I called the Higgins and I told them what had happened. So I went home. And from then on, he went to the cab company. I didn't know this. I didn't know he went to the cab company and arranged this until I got ready to come home. <laughs> he arranged for the, the same cab people. I, I couldn't understand why I always got the same drivers and I always had to pay the same fare no matter where I went with the cab. I didn't have to pay but one set price. I, I never could understand it. <laughs> but I said, oh, well, maybe this is the way it is here. But they arranged that for me. And then I met a lady across the street. She was a black lady, older black lady. Everybody called her Mom Betty. And she started taking me. She was born and reared in New York, and she had a son my age. But she also had more children, grown children, but that was her baby. And she started taking me home with her and taking me to church on Sunday. And uh, bring it, I would spend the weekend with her and go to church and come back. And when I got to her church, I was shocked because it was a holiness church. <laughs> I was brought up in Baptist. And just to, just to see her and laugh and talk with her, you wouldn't think she was holiness, but she was. And then she took me under her wing from then on. And some girls in the neighborhood, she would say, don't fool with them girls. I know your mama didn't send you up here for you to do this and you to do that, so you can't do that. So. When I got old and started looking back over my life, I could see that it was that it was God, that it was the Holy Spirit leading and guiding me, not only from in my grown-up life, but in my life from a child all the way up. And then I began to be taught about the Holy Spirit through this holding this church, and after I got back home, and I was like, that's the Holy Spirit leading and guiding me. And then I noticed my life from then on, I was always led to where it was an older person there for me to go talk to or to get guidance from. So I never have been a street person, as in going to clubs, drinking, smoking. Yeah. I never did any of that. Wow. And I I had plenty of reason to because all of my husbands, all of my all of my uncles was alcoholic. And then my dad was an alcoholic. So that was one of the things that I always said I didn't want to be because I see how they would act when they get drunk and whatever. So I didn't want to be an alcoholic. And after I began to grow up, I saw a lot of my aunts having two and three marriages and running around in their marriage. And I was like, I don't want that either. <laughs> so um, after I came from New York, I got married to my first husband. He was 
uh, a year older than me. But, but when we was in school, he was in church. He was brought up in church, knew his family. All of his brothers and things turned out nice, and he could sing. He could really sing. And he always sung in church with groups and choirs and whatever. So when he asked me to marry him, my grandparents just thought that was a good thing because they knew his mom, and she always had hard-working children and thought he would be the best thing for me. I loved him, too. <laughs> <laughs> but when we got married and went to Cleveland, uh, Satan took over with him because people started persuading him to sing at nightclubs, and he was great. He was called the next Little James Brown. <laughs> and the nightclubs, he just started going with the nightclubs, staying out and not taking care of home or not coming home or whatever. To make a long story short, he was in and out of my life for about three or four years. I had three children for him, and I decided to come back home because he was going one way and I was going another one, and he weren't taking care of me in a way, so I couldn't stay with him. And I took my three children. I had my three children. I came home to my mom, and I asked my granddad, if you just let my children stay here with my mom, I'll go get a job and take care of them. So that's when I came to Pensacola. Yeah. And I, I um, started doing housework because I couldn't find elderly people's right off that needed help. So I started doing housework. First job here, I was making like $5 a day. We're talking about 1967, 68, 68. And um, I took that $5 a day. And the first job I got, I wasn't working but three days a week, $5 a day. So I was staying with my aunt. And I would send my mom $10 a week and give my aunt the five. Then I got a job making $25 a week. <laughs> I would send my mom 15 and give my aunt 10. And then I would babysit at night to get extra money. And when I babysit, I would take that money and I put my children in insurance, put their clothes on layaway. And that's the way I survived until I got to be $30 a week, and it just kept going on up. And uh, then I met my second husband, and, and uh, we got married in 69. He was a concrete finisher. And uh, when I first met him, he didn't go to church. He wasn't a churchgoer. He had got mad with his granddad or something. He wasn't going to go to church. He was born and reared in, in Morova. But I was going to church. But he told me, I'm not going to stop you from going to church. I'll even take you. And he did. Um, 
But the Lord showed me that that was my husband because all the young men I was um, talking to at that time, didn't any of them want to take on three children. Half of them wasn't working. And when I met Lance, my second husband, he had three children by first marriage, and his mother was keeping his three children. And he was a hard worker. And he would go home to see his three children every week. And I was going to my home to see my three children every other week. But those are the things that I noticed about him. And then he asked me, um, would I marry him? And he said, I can't make you no big promises, but I promise you a home, and I love your children as my own, and I take care of y'all. And he did. Um, we got married. His first wife kept two of his children, and his son stayed with us. And I got two of my children, and one of my youngest son stayed with my mom because he said he didn't want her to be by herself. <laughs> so that's how we started our marriage. And then we had, he and I had seven children together. Um, four of them lived and three died. But um, he never did go to church with me. But he didn't, he didn't stop me from going, and he didn't stop me from taking my children. I took my children to church every Sunday, every Sunday. Even his children would come stay with us during the summer, and he would tell them, and she'd say, you got to go to church, you got to go to church. So his children had to go to church too. And, um, but he wouldn't go, unless the children had a program at church and they begged him to come see it or whatever. He would. But um, we took care of those children. I still worked for different peoples. Um, each job got better. I started sitting with elderly peoples and cleaning for them, some remarkable peoples. And that's how my book came about because um, people started telling me as I was working for them, you should write a book because I would go from one family. I met one family through um, a Methodist church, and I never had to um, go out and get a job. The jobs would come to me, you know. It was like, we hear about you, you work for so-and-so, and, -so, and that's the way I got all my jobs. Um, I've worked for uh, the Green Huts, and, I, I work for some remarkable people, <laughs> and they all have, I, all of them weren't good, but I went there in a way. The meanest one I had, she, um, she was real mean, and she was supposed to be in Pentecostal holiness. <laughs> and I went there to work, and oh, she was mean. She didn't want me taking care of her because I was black. She didn't like black peoples. And she would always say to me, how I know you're gonna give me my medicine right? How I know you didn't spit in my food and all this type stuff? And my husband said, she's a redneck. You need to leave. You don't need to put up with that. And I prayed about it. 
and the Spirit led me to take my Bible since she was Pentecostal holiness. Take your Bible with you. So I did. I would take my Bible every day. And when she say something mean to me, I said, show me that in the Bible because I can't find it. <laughs> so one day I came in and she was praying. And I heard her praying, so I didn't bother. And before she started praying, though, she used to would pull her hair out. And she would say, get these cats off me. And she was paralyzed from the waist down, so I would have to hold her hand to keep her from scratching herself up. And she would say, look at them dogs on the side of the wall with them gold teeth. Make them dogs leave out of here, just stuff like that. And I would have to hold her hand to keep her from pulling her hair out and scratching her face up. So the day when I came in and she was praying, she got through praying. She prayed a half a day. And when she got through praying, she was the most beautiful woman. I mean, her complexion had changed. Everything about her had changed. I went in and I washed her hair and I gave her a bath and fed her. And she called me Genevieve. She never did call me Virginia. She said, Genevieve. She said, God sent you here. And I said, oh, yeah. She said, yeah. She said, if you hadn't came, I would have died and went to hell. She said, I used to throw water out at black peoples. I used to bury cats alive. I used to scald dogs. I said, you a Pentecostal holder? You couldn't wear pants. You couldn't look in a magazine. You couldn't even watch TV or listen to the radio. <laughs> yeah. And then she was telling me all this means I was wondering why people weren't visiting her. And then after that, she started calling people, and they started coming to visit her, and everybody was telling her how, what a change she had made, even her family. And she didn't want me to take a day off. She wanted me to, I said, I gotta have a day off. I can't be here every day. So she uh, got sick, and they decided to take her to the hospital. And the hospital sent her to the nursing home, but she would tell her son every day that she was um, in the nursing home, go get Genevieve. Every time, he said, every time a black nurse come in, that's your Genevieve? <laughs> oh, she told her son was working at Vanity Fair. She said, get Virginia the best gift that Vanity Fair got. Yeah, but she told me. And before she died, one of her best friends came to see her. And her best friend said, Virginia, where you live? And I told her, and she said, I want your name and address and phone number before we leave, because all of us getting up in age and we might need you. So, sure enough, about two or three months, she called me. And then I stayed in that family for 40 years. Just that one family. Um, the sisters and the brother and the daughters and yeah. <laughs> when I when I married my husband, you weren't going to church, and you know how you go to church and the husband and wives come in the church and all. And my husband never was with me, <laughs> and I would pray 
for my husband to go to church with me. He wouldn't go. So um, we was married for 43 years. My husband got sick with COPD and emphysema. He still wouldn't go. My husband drank and party every weekend, but he took care of home. I tell everybody, um, Friday evenings when he got paid, he would come home and here's beer money. What did your children need? Here's grocery money. And then he would say, hold this for me to go to work next week, because he gambled. And he said, if I lose my money, I don't want to lose what we need. And we bought two homes, one here and one in Monrova. Um, but he just wouldn't go to church, but he took care of his family. Mm -hmm. And he got, when he got sick, the emphysema and the COPD, at first he had um, prostate cancer. So he got through that, and then the emphysema and the COPD turned into lung cancer. He had lung cancer. So about 3 o'clock one morning, about six weeks before he died, he woke up and he said, Virginia, I done missed it. And I said, what do you miss, Lawrence? He said, I miss Jesus. And I said, no, you haven't. You still got breath in your body. So I called my daughter over and we went over the sinner's prayer with him and all. He said, no, 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 I need something more than this. <laughs> so I called, he said, I want Brother Reed, a Reverend Jesse, that was pastors of mine. And uh, I said, Brother Reed can't come, he got arthritis too bad. So I said, I'll call Reverend Jesse in the morning. So that next morning I called Reverend Jesse, Reverend Jesse came over and talked to Reverend Jesse and he cried and he wanted to know did he need to be baptized again and he repented for everything told me he was sorry for everything he had done and um, the next Sunday I got up and was cooking breakfast and he got up and got dressed and I said where are you going he said right now I'm going to the store and I said, okay. So when he came back, he had went to Dollar General and bought a Bible, large print. He said, because I can't read yours. <laughs> and uh, he said, I'm going to church with you. And I, I was going to a holiness church then, right down below my house. He said, but I'm not going to your church. And I said, well, okay. I said, let's go to Reverend Jesse's church. So... I called my pastor and I told her because I was teaching Sunday school and I was the head of the usher boat. So I told her, I said, look, my husband is going to church and I'm going with him where he wants to go. So I got somebody to teach my class and somebody to do the usher boat until I come back or when I come back. And um, she said she didn't like it. <laughs> But I said, well, that's the way it is. So I started going to church with, with my husband. We went to Reverend Jesse's for a couple of times. We came here one time. And we came here twice. We came here. 
And um, then he got so he couldn't go to church anymore. But then I was like, thank you, Lord. It took 43 years, but I got a chance to go to church with my husband. <laughs> Four times I got a church to go. But I, and I look back at it, I, the Holy Spirit showed me, but yeah, look, if you hadn't married him, if you hadn't stayed with him, he probably would have been lost because he wouldn't have had anybody to. And before, before then, Sheen and Ed was going here. He had gotten so mean at one point, he pulled the gun on me. And wouldn't any, couldn't any of the children come to get me, nobody but Sheena. Sheena was like, I'm your daughter. I got the same blood you got. You can't shoot me no more than I can shoot you. <laughs> so she came and got me, and I stayed with Sheena and Ed for about two weeks. And he... Um, the children wasn't going to see him. He wasn't eating properly. And that's when Crown was in the church over there by Lowe's. I came to church with Sheen and Ed that Sunday morning. And Johnny was preaching. I hadn't heard him preach before. I had heard his dad at the building in town in Contra Plaza. But he was preaching, and he was preaching from Joshua. Be strong and courageous, you know, that I'm going to be with you. I could hear him saying those words, but when I was sitting in the building, it was as if I was in a cloud, and another voice was speaking to me, and that voice was saying, go home. When you married Lance and took those vows, you didn't only make them to him, you made them to me. Go home and take care of your husband. The children is not taking care of him. And he was calling me like every 15 minutes. So after church, I told Sheena, I said, Sheena, I'm going home. <laughs> Mama, you just gonna go back there and let him kill you? I said, he can't kill me now. She said, why? I said, because a voice in the church told me, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. And I went back home. And two days after I got back, I was standing in the kitchen cooking, and he came in with the gun in his hand, and he held the gun at me. And when he did, I threw up both hands, and I said, Lord, I did what you asked me to do. So if this is the way I gotta die, let him kill me right now, because I can't take no more of this. And when I said that, he dropped the gun by his side and went and put it in the room. And then that was when it was like two, to, two or three days after that when he asked, did he miss Jesus? Yes, yes. So when, when I, when, after he died and everything and the, the pastor at the Holiness Church was controlling, she didn't want do this and the children had me say, you don't need to be there in a way. But the children loved me because I was teaching them the truth and they didn't want me to go. So, But then she, I wanted to go to my, I went to my home church revival in September. 
And when I came back, she was like, that was her birthday weekend. Everybody was supposed to celebrate her, you know. And But before I left, I gave her a sprung of my fig tree. I gave her a car, and the church had asked for $15. I gave her that. But she said I weren't supposed to go because that was her day. And I said, well, I joined your church, your family, but I was born into that other family that I went to see. And the Spirit just spoke to me and said, it's time to go. So when I left, everybody was saying, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Crown, because that's where God spoke to me. <laughs> and that's where I believe you want me to be. I came here, not knowing Sheena and Ed weren't going to be here, but it was all good. I said, I'm still staying. It's, sometimes it's hard for me to get away. Transportation yeah. is hard. But the Lord have always made a way for me to do that, too. So that's one thing I learned. You know, I had, um, not only did I have the children, our children, but I've had his, his grandchildren to live. It always have been children in my house, his grandchildren. We had to take his grandchildren in that was in Milwaukee. The state was fixing to take them because their mom was on drugs. I took them in. It always have been children. All I ever done was teach, cook, <laughs> punish. <laughs> I, um, I have children now in the neighborhood coming back telling me my rule was, though, for all children, minds and all the rest that come there was, if you see me do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. If you hear me say it, you can say it. Wow. So whenever one got out of place in the neighborhood, like cursing or whatever, my children would say, Mama. And I've always kept a switch. I still got one about this long, my grandmother used to do, and plant it on the end. I keep it for my little great-grands. Uh, you wouldn't believe it with DJ, but hey. <laughs> um, and when they would get out of line, when I walked to the door with that switch, they would go home. <laughs> oh, but in the young man, you remember, that got killed on the on a motorcycle that came here for a little while? and. Yeah. He was one of the ones. Um, he came to my house and, oh, he would curse and he would fight. And I caught him one day by my mailbox. I whipped him. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I don't know who this child parents is. <laughs> what am I going to do? And, and my son said, um, the lady lived down the street, said, Miss Liz know who she is. So I called Liz and I said, Liz, what have I done? And she said, you all right? Said, when he get home, he, he go get another one. Sure enough, when he came back the next day, I said, Sheldon, what happened? He said, I got another whooping. And, and he was another one. He went to prison. And when he came home, 
he was walking through the neighborhood one Saturday evening. He said, come to my house. He said, Miss Virginia said, won't nobody give me anything to eat. Nobody in the neighborhood. And most of all the people there was relatives of his. And I said, well, come on, Shelton. And I fixed him a plate, two sandwiches and some chips and some cookies and Kool-Aid. And he was like, oh, Miss Virginia, this is the way you used to do when we was children. <laughs> and I said, yes, yeah, Shelton. And he ate it and thanked me for it. And the next time I saw him was here at church, he and his wife and his little boy. And uh, I was sorry about him getting killed, but he was another one that I saw changed. Yeah. Yeah, because he was something else. <laughs> the most thing that I seen that helped me, the first thing that helped me was seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all that I need would be added to me. And I did that. I seeked him, and he made a way for me with all of my children, my grand, my husband, (laughs) the people that I worked for. Um, He was the one that made a way for me. And then every morning, when I do my morning devotion and my morning prayer, I, I, I was put my trust in him, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and lean not into my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge him. I pray every morning for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me, to help me do the right things, say the right things, live right, you know, because I know that if the Holy Spirit is not leading me, then I'm not going in the right direction. And not saying that I don't, like Johnny was saying this morning, not saying that I don't get angry or whatever, but when I get angry, I've learned to hold my peace and then think, Holy Spirit, what is it that I need to do? So if I'm in the wrong, I'm going to say, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that and get it right. So that has been my my goal down through the years. And believe me, I have, when my husband first died, I was coming here. I was in fear, fear of, of not having enough because I had one income. And the one thing my husband didn't do was when when he was working, he paid into Social Security, but he stopped Mm -hmm. because he wanted to do his thing, Mm -hmm. spend his money. So when I got to where time for me to get Social Security, he didn't have any for me. And uh, the lady said $11. And then that that really hit me. It was a good thing that four four of the families that I had worked for paid in my Social Security and Medicare. And with them paying it in, 
I had, um, I was getting more than he was, really. And then my house was, it was in bad shape because when he had emphysema and COPD, I couldn't have no work done, no sawdust, no paint, no nothing. So when he died, the people that I worked for, two of the families that I worked for, three of the families that I worked for, said, hey, if Virginia gonna stay there, her house need to be fixed. So one of the ladies died and left me in her will. And the other two just joined in and said, hey, we're gonna give you X numbers a dollar. To help. And one of the one of the families still do every month. They they give me money as if I was still working there. They give me a paycheck <laughs> every month. But uh, I was in fear that I weren't gonna make it. And I know my children at that time weren't in a position to really help me. So I I feel really gripped me and being there by myself in my house by myself at that time with nobody staying with me and. I came to church one Sunday, and Johnny was preaching about fear. And after he finished preaching, Jamma sung this song about, um, what is it? I'm no longer a I'm not, yeah. And when she finished singing that song, it was as if everything lifted wow. off me. And I haven't been in fear since. Uh, about like uh, being there by myself mm-hmm. or any of it. And I know it was God. I just know it's him. Oh, yes. And he's, and every time something come up, I would remind him what he told me in the church. <laughs> I'll never leave you, nor forsake me. I'm like, okay, Lord. <laughs> you promised me. <laughs> and he haven't. Yeah, but-